Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to visit southernhillslv.com to watch or listen to past messages. We hope you enjoy today's message from God's Word. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, this sermon series through Philippians is telling us one main thought, and that is happiness belongs to you. Joy is your natural gift. It's an inheritance from God to you. If God is your Father and Jesus Christ your Savior, one of the great gifts from God is the natural daily gift of joy to love and have happiness in your daily life. But here's the bad news. According to what we study in the book of Philippians, there are 10 villains out to thieve your joy, steal, rob you of your daily happiness. And we're exposing them week by week. Today, we're arriving at the sixth villain in our sermon series. We call him the Jesus thief. The Jesus thief is that sixth villain who robs you of joy by whispering into your ear, Jesus isn't enough. It's possible that many in this room are not experiencing daily joy because you're listening to the lie that is telling you Jesus is not enough. He's not enough to bring you satisfaction. He's not enough to bring you security. He's not enough to bring you significance. He's not enough to bring you safety. He's not enough to bring you salvation. And today's sermon is very simple from Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. It's to explain that Jesus is more than enough to bring you all of these things. To begin, I need to tell you the story about the duck. You say, what duck, Pastor Josh? Well, this sad, sad duck walked into a grocery store one day, and he was ready to build a deck behind his house. He walked into the grocery store, he looked up at the man, and he said, quack, quack, hello, quack, quack. Do you have any quack, quack, long, big pieces of wood? They're kind of cut in a singular quack, quack way where you can build things. I'm looking for, do you know what they're called? And the grocery store clerk said, are you talking about two-by-fours? Quack, quack. Yes, absolutely, quack. I actually quack. I need some two-by-fours, quack. Could you provide some quack, quack, two-by-fours for me? And the grocery clerk said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, duck. This is actually a grocery store. We don't sell two-by-fours. And the duck said, quack, quack. I apologize. How embarrassing, quack. Uh, quack, uh, could I ask you one more question? He said, sure. He said, do you have any two-by-fours, quack? The grocery clerk laughed. They said, no, I don't think you heard me. This is a grocery store. We don't have two-by-fours at the grocery store. Quack, uh, you're going to have to get that somewhere else. Now you got me doing it. <laughs> the duck looked up and said, I apologize. One more question. Got any two-by-fours? Quack. Now the grocery clerk is getting a little frustrated, a little irritated, ready to kick out the duck like grocery store clerks normally do. And he says to the duck, no, we don't have any two-by-fours. This is a grocery store. The duck said, do you have any two-by-fours? And the grocery store said, that's it. If you ask me one more time about two-by-fours in this grocery store, I'm going to take your webbed feet and I'm going to nail them to the floor. The duck looked up and said, quack, do you have any nails? <laughs> the grocery store clerk said, no. He said, you got any two-by-fours? Quack and got out of there quick. I can't stand, stand. That's a dad joke if I ever heard one. 
I asked my wife after the first sermon, I'm like, how'd you like the sermon? She said, terrible joke, terrible joke. How many of you can agree with that? Say amen. Here's the point. You can't get that from there. Here's the point of the entire sermon. You can't, you can't get that from there. Okay, so what's going to happen over the next 30 minutes is some of you are going to be blown away by this one singular truth. You have been spending the majority of your life trying to get something important to your life, but you're going to the wrong place to get it. And I'm here to tell you very clearly and very simply, you can't get that from there. If you're ready for today's sermon, give me an amen. Amen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, he says, Paul, to the church at Philippi, halfway through his letter, he speaks up and says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He says, I want you to be happy. I want you to have joy in the Lord every day. Does Paul want us to have joy, yes or no? Say yes. Yes, Paul wants us to have joy. He wants to have joy in the Lord every single day. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Paul begins by explaining, I know what some of you are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking, Paul, are you getting tired of preaching the same thing over and over and over and over again? Are you, is it tedious for you to do so? Some of you might think the same thing of Josh, right? You come to church, you're like, hey, pastor, it seems like you're saying the same message week after week after week after week. Same message. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. Do you ever get tired of saying the same message over and over? And I say what Paul says in verse 1, for me to write these things unto you over and over and over again, it's not tedious. No. Why? Because I love saying the phrase, Jesus is enough. And we need reminded of this over and over and over in life. Why? Because what we do, we are constantly going to the wrong place for the things that mean so much to the human life. No, Jesus is the only place you can find safety, the only place you can find security, the only place you can find significance, the only place you can find satisfaction, the only place you can find salvation, the only place you can find sanctification. Jesus is that place. That's what the sermon teaches. Now, as we go on, we're going to see first and foremost, Jesus is enough. Now, look at what it says in verse 2. Beware of dogs. That's verse 2. Did you ever know that that's in the Bible, beware of dogs? Some of you have scripture posted outside your house. (laughs) And you didn't even know. You're like, that's from Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. You're telling all your neighbors, I'm a Christian. I've got scripture. Beware of dogs. (laughs) It says, beware of dogs. Uh, Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Verse 2 can be really confusing if you don't understand the historic nature of the context of what Paul is talking about. You see, there was a big fight going on in the culture at that time. Can you imagine being in a culture that was at fighting itself, right? Well, that's what was going on with Paul. Paul, there was a big fight going on in the religious community. There was a fight between the religious elites and the common believer in God. The religious elites and the common believer in God. Right, the religious elites were the type of people who thought themselves better than all of the other believers. They were the good Christians, high above everyone. They looked down upon. They had arrived at a level of perfection that the common man could never understand. 
And then there were other people who just believed in God and followed Jesus, and they were trying to be followers of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? By the way, I'm just really interested. Can we take a quick poll? How many religious elites are in the room? You believe you're better than everybody else religiously, like you've arrived. You're more like God than the rest of us. Anybody here? Raise your hand. How many of you like that? Raise your hand. Anybody? Anybody? Nobody here. Good. Okay. Since they're not here, let's talk about them, okay? All right? The rest of us are over here. How many of you are like me? You're like Josh. You're like, I just believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I'm trying my best. How many of you are like me? You're just a common guy, right? Common girl? Okay. So this is what was going on. There was a fight back then. Religious elites versus the common person who believed in God, believed Jesus was their Savior and the following God. And what was happening is the religious elites were trying to conform all of the other believers into their way of thinking through harsh terms and through fights and through calling bad names to them. One of the things that the religious elite in the society would call the unbelievers or the Gentiles, they would call them dogs. They call them dogs. And so Paul flips the script and he says, we're not the dogs, they're the dogs. Beware of these religious elite people who think they're better than everybody else and they'll only accept you if you do all of the rules they've created. Some of you come from a, uh, from a very religious background. Some of you come from a religious background like I come from. And in case you don't walk the way they walk, talk the way they talk, act the way they act, in every way, do everything that the religious elite say, then you are not good enough to come to Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? And so Paul said, beware of those people. He calls them the mutilation. Why the mutilation? Because one of the rules that this particular elite set of religious people had was that God won't accept you until you circumcise all of your children on particular day of the week. Like on a very specific day, you better, you know, cut your children. By the way, I'm trying to be careful. I know there's some younger people in the room. So I'm elevating the language to be very clear, but also appropriate. And so they genuinely believed that you were not close to God unless you circumcised your children. So Paul says, you know what they are? <laughs> this is what Paul says. He says, they're the mutilation, those who like to mutilate. Now, Paul was not taking a stance against circumcision. Paul himself was circumcised. And in fact, in the rest of the scripture, you'll see Paul tell some people, don't worry about getting circumcised. Other people, he says, yes, you could get circumcised. It's not about circumcision. The point is, there was a fight between religious elitism versus the common person who loved God and is trying to follow and obey the scripture. That's what's going on, verse 3. Now, he goes on in verse 3, and he says... For we are the true circumcision. We are the real circumcision. We are the ones who are really following God because we are not circumcised in the flesh. We are circumcised in the heart. That is, we're not just performing religious ceremonies. We genuinely have a relationship with God. And he goes on, he says, who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ and have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks, oh, no, no, ver ver verse three continues, rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. What Paul's message is this at the end of verse 3. You have everything you need in Christ. Not in you. This is the opposite of what most of the world will tell you. What I'm about to tell you is the opposite of what most of the world would have told you during this time back then, 2,000 years ago, and what most of the world will tell you today. Here's what most of the world will tell you. If you want to get by in life, you have everything you need inside of you that's right you're amazing 
Deep inside of you are all the miracles you'll ever need. All you need to do is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and take control of your life, and you are going to save yourself of all problems. You've got everything inside of you that you need. That's what Paul was facing. And Paul was saying, no, you have nothing inside of you. Instead, what you have is you have Christ. I have everything I need inside of Christ. I want you to say this phrase with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Say it again. I can only get that from Jesus. Look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He said, if you want to compare religious resumes, Paul said, let's go. You ever seen two guys look at each other and be like, let's go? Throw down, you know, you ever see this? Paul is ready to do this spiritually. He said, you think you have a religious resume? Let me show you my religious resume. You think you can please God with your religion? Let me show you how I please God with my religion. Look at what he says in verse number five. He says, I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I'm a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is of the law, blameless. Can anybody here say that you're blameless like you never broke one law of the Bible? Paul said, I can. How about you? Now, this was an old way of showing your religious resume. I'm going to do what Paul did in a modern way. I'm going to share my religious resume. Let me, let me share my religious resume. Say, Pastor, you're pretty religious. Pretty good, pretty good. Better than you. Better than you. That's what Paul is saying. For example, I'm a PK, pastor's kid, grew up in this thing. I've been going to church since I was eight days old, baby. I know what's going on. I know this place. I'm not only a pastor's kid, I became a pastor. I was homeschooled before it was cool, man. I, I... Back in the 80s, you told somebody you were homeschooled, they threw you in a dumpster. Now you tell you're homeschooled and you're eating organic meals and you're, you're, you're a big shot, you know what I mean? I was homeschooled before school. This is how religious I am. I have three theolo theology degrees, three. I'm a church planter. That means Heather and I, when we started, we planted this church. We started from nothing. That's my religious resume. Concerning moral character, 20 years, faithful to the same woman. Three kids who all love Jesus. I used to wear a suit and tie every time I preached. I want you to go, ooh. I know, right? That's impressive, right? And it was really hot. I'm in Vegas. Like, it was just too much. You know what I mean? Why don't you wear a tie anymore? Because I'm hot. I'm always hot. Suit and tie. When I, I used to have a comb over, like a big comb over, like, which I think is a religious thing. Jason did too. Now it's all gone. You know what I mean? Like everything. It's just super. Thank you. One person. Uh, on Halloween, when I was a kid, I used to dress like a Bible character. You tell me I'm not more religious than you. You know what I mean? Who are you, kid? I'm Samson. Get right with God. That's how it would be. I always tip 20% or more. Yeah. Say, ooh. I recycle to save the turtles. Ah. What's he doing? Paul is saying, if you think you're religious and you're going to get from your religion something that you really want, I have way more traction than you. And then he says in verse 7, look at what he says. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. 
yet loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. He said, everything that I just named is trash. My theology degrees, trash. Church planting, trash. Growing up in the church, trash. I was raised this way, trash. It means nothing. The old King James Bible says it this way. I count it like dung, like it's dung. Uh, uh, uh. He's like, that's what Paul is saying? That's what Paul is saying. All of my religious deeds are like dung when I compare it to Christ. I give it all up for a relationship with Christ. You say, aren't you a very religious person? No, I've come to a realization I'm not a religious person. I'm a person who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I, I am here to do is tell you, you don't have to be religious. You have to come to Jesus in faith and develop a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He goes on, yet all things I count as loss for Christ, count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness. Own righteousness is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Let, let me say it again. You say it with me. Self-righteousness. My dear Baptist in the room, your self-righteousness will never get you closer to God. My dear Mormon friend, my dear Catholic friend, my dear Jewish friend, my dear Muslim friend, my dear Methodist friend, your self-righteousness will never get you closer to God. My dear atheist friend, my dear agnostic friend who thinks yourself so much better than all these people who need God, your self-righteousness will never make you a better person. And some of you are more self-righteous than any religious person because you think you don't even need God. Well, those people need that crutch. You're so self-righteous. Your self-righteousness isn't helping you. The only righteousness that can help you comes from another. His name is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is trying to say. Now he goes on and he explains it even more. He says in verse 10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. Here's the big question that I have for you today. Here's the big question that I need you to answer for me, for yourself, for the Lord. Here it is. What are you trying to get from that machine? My, my friend, listen, what are you trying to get from that machine? And you've been going to the same machine over and over and over in your life, and you still are not finding what you've been looking for. You know it, and I know it, and God knows it. What are you trying to get from that machine? You say, what machine, Pastor? One of the greatest inventions of mankind is the vending machine. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the vending machine today. There's a man that cares. He knows. He's at work, and he's like, I need some Cheetos, and I need them now. I didn't bring some Cheetos. I should have thought to stop at 7-Eleven to get some Cheetos, but I didn't. But you know what? Somebody ahead of time, somebody, somebody decided, the office manager decided we needed a vending machine, and so they provide this man Cheetos, and he's excited. Who was it that shouted out? Who was it? Raise your hand. Was, it, was that you, Mark? Excited about the vending machine. Here's the vending machine. Here's my question to you. My question to you is, what would you pick in this vending machine if you could? What would it be? What would, what, somebody raise your hand. What, what would it be? The M&Ms. This lady is a godly woman. Give her a round of applause. She chose well. She chose wisely. She did. The M&Ms are there. Somebody else, what would you pick? If you, yes, what would you pick? Reese's Pieces. You can leave. No, but Reese's Pieces have no chocolate. 
And I'm like, why don't you have chocolate? And why would anybody buy Reese's Pieces when now God has allowed us to invent the peanut butter M&M? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's both. It's both. You know, here's the thing. E.T. had no idea what he was doing, okay? And we don't even have Reese's Pieces in here because this is a Christian church. So... We have what we have. Here's what we do as human beings. Week after week, day after day, month after month, minute after minute, some of us year after year, we go to the same machine, we put in the coin, we put in the dollar bill, it comes back, we put it in again, we knock on it, and suddenly it comes down. And we grab from the machine whatever we feel like might satisfy us. We take it, we open it up, we eat it, we consume it, and we keep going back to the same machine, but we're not finding what we've been looking for. You say, what have we been looking for? We're looking for the four things that we're all looking for as human beings. Salvation, significance, safety, and security. This is what we're looking for as human beings, but you'll never find it from the same machine that the rest of the world is starving from. As you see this machine behind me, let's go ahead and look at these four things, four things that you'll never get from there. The first one is salvation. Here's the first thing you'll never get from the machine of the world. Here's the first one. Number one, salvation. You'll never get it. Instead, what I want you to say it with me, I want you to say, I can only get that from Jesus. I can only get that from Jesus. Say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Say it again, say it again. I can only get that from Jesus. There are four types of people in the world. Number one, those who don't believe they need salvation. The four types of people in the world. One, number one, I don't need salvation. I'll be fine. There's nothing after there. Oh, dear friend, you have so fooled yourself into believing there's nothing after life that when you arrive and stand before God, it will be too late for your soul. Here is the fact and the reality. You say, I just don't believe it. Just because you don't believe it doesn't make it not true. I can say all day long, I don't believe Russia exists. I don't believe Russia doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I don't believe God exists. I don't believe heaven exists. Here's the fact, the reality. One day you may wake up to, literally upon death, into the next world. And by the way, I'll tell you this. Creation proves that God is there. Your conscience tells you that that God is there. And the entire historic civilization tells you that God is there. And here it is that you're denying that you even need salvation in the first place. The only place you'll find salvation is to find it in the person of Jesus Christ. Some people don't even believe they need salvation. Here's the second one. Some people believe they can find salvation in themselves. And the world around us constantly is reinforcing this, telling us everything you need is inside of you. And you believe that if you're good enough, if you do the right things, if you're nice enough to the right people, then God will save your soul. Some people don't need salvation, they think. Some people believe they find salvation in themselves. Some people think they find salvation in religion. And so you have gone all in on your religious preference, your religious denomination, whichever one is most appealing to you or the one you grew up in. And you're like, man, that's it for me. And you put all your chips into that basket and you're hoping to God that that religion's the right one. And then you have a question deep in the back of your mind. You're like, but that's a lot of religions. How do I know I got the right one? And the answer is you'll never know. Now, again, some of you are thinking to yourself, but aren't you a religious leader? And again, I say, no, I'm not. I'm a guy who's a follower of Jesus Christ, who's telling other people there's only one way to salvation salvation. And that's not through religion. It's through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Salvation can be 
some people believe they don't need it. Some people think they can find it in themselves. Some people believe they can find it in religion. And some people, this is the few, believe that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Hear me, friend. You will never find salvation apart from Jesus Christ. You just can't get that from there. My wife and I were in Israel two years ago. Ever, I know some of you travel with us. We go on Holy Land tours. Anybody ever been to Israel with us? Raise your hand. We were there two, okay, several of you. We were there two years ago, and when we were there, we went by the Jordan River where many Christians will go, and they'll celebrate and remember the way John the Baptist would baptize people in the Jordan River. It's a really cool ceremony. And so we were there celebrating the fact that this historically happened. John baptized people at the Jordan River in preparation for the coming of Jesus Christ. So we're all standing in line. We had our little white robes on, ready to go inside. And all of a sudden, there was a man that came up to me, and he tapped me on the shoulder who was not part of our group, an elderly man. And he said to me, he said, sir, sir, he was from Europe. I said, yes. He said, we're not with your group, but could I ask you a question? I said, sure, what's going on? And he pointed to his sister, an elderly woman, on oxygen, barely getting by. And he said to me, sir, if you're a pastor, we've traveled all the way from our home to the Jordan River to be baptized, and we don't have a, bap uh, we don't have a pastor to baptize her. Will you baptize her? Now, what I'm about to tell you is going to offend a lot of you, and it will make some of you angry. I looked at him and said, I will not. I can't. The reason I can't is because what you're trying to find in the Jordan River, you can't get that from there. You think you're going to find salvation and healing in a dirty little desert pond. You're not going to find it there. You think you're going to find it in a religious experience, you think you're going to find it in some sort of a, a, a trek across the world, you're not going to find it in there. Say, Pastor, you could have just been a nice guy, made her feel good in the moment, get her in the dirty water, dunk her in, and then she'd feel nice for a couple minutes. But then she would die and stand before God, and her soul will not have been saved because water doesn't save people. And so I said, no, I won't. But I said, here's what I will do. And I said, come over here. This is my wife. Now, if you don't know Heather, she's one of the most godly followers of Jesus I've ever known. And I said, my wife, while we go and, and perform this historic fun ceremony, my wife will tell you the most important thing about Jesus. And Heather took this woman and her brother over to a park bench, over to a, a picnic table, overlooking the Jordan River, and sat down and opened the Bible with her and showed her that God loves her, but that she's a sinner and that she must repent of her sin to receive Jesus Christ as her Savior. And that Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to die upon the cross, to be buried and rise from the grave, and offers her salvation. She could be born again if she repents and believes on Christ right there. And right there at that picnic table overlooking the Jordan River and with several IDF agents holding guns right beside Heather, this woman bowed her head and received Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior right there at the Jordan River, was saved. She got real salvation because she came to Jesus for salvation. After that, Heather said, now, if you want to be involved in a ceremony called baptism, baptism is merely an outward expression of the decision you just made. 
And if you want to go down and be baptized by the pastor, you can, but that doesn't save you. Your relationship with Jesus that you now have saves you. Would you like to do that? She said, oh, yes. And she came down and was baptized after she got saved. Now, hear me. The reason I say that is because some of you believe that you got salvation because your mom and dad got you wet when you were 10 years old or when you were four years old or when you're two years old. And you say, that offends me. That's okay. My job is not to make you feel good. My job is to tell you that salvation is in one place, one person. It's Jesus Christ. You say, I need to be saved. Well, you can't get that from there. Religion will never save you. Self-righteousness will never save you. You must repent and receive Christ to be saved. Number one, salvation. I want you to say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Number two, significance. When I say significance, I want you to say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Significance. I can only get that from Jesus. Going back to the Apostle Paul, he says, those things which I gained, I counted them lost for Christ. When it comes to significance, we ask ourselves two questions. Who am I and what have I done? People find significance in these two questions. Who am I? Well, this is who I am. This is the things I've accomplished. This is what I've done. And so we set, tend to feel better about ourselves based upon what we've done or who we are. The problem is many of us have been going to our same machine every single day and every single week and every single month and every single year and we type in significance and something comes out and we've accomplished more and we've done more but we don't feel any more significant. Why? Because you can't get that from there. You can't get significance apart from your creator. Let me, let me explain it this way. I'm going to be as blunt as I can for sake of time. I'm talking to some men in this room and you know who you are. I'm talking to some women in this room. You know who you are. Hear my voice. There is no job that can give you significance. There is no promotion you can get that will make you feel better about yourself. There is no award you could receive. There is no amount of money. There's no political office you can achieve that will make you look in the mirror and like yourself better. Not one, not one. Becoming a mother will not do it. Getting married won't do it. Graduation won't do it. Retirement won't do it. There's none of these things that can bring you the significance you're longing for. None of them can provide you significance. I can only get that from... I always felt bad for Buzz, you know? Buzz Lightyear, I, I feel bad for him. You watch the movie, Buzz Lightyear, and, and he's going through this identity crisis, you know what I mean? Like, he doesn't know he's a toy, he thinks he's the real toy, and you know, Tom Hanks thinks, you know, he's freaking out. Woody's over there, be like, you are a toy! You're a child plaything, you know? You remember, you know what I'm talking about? And poor Buzz couldn't figure out who he was, and he felt that his significance was in his <laughs> occupation. One of the coolest moments in all of that movie, to me as a Christian, is when Woody picks up his boot and he looks at the bottom of the boot. And there, scribbled in a child's marker, is one word. What is the word? Andy. Andy. Do you know where, you know where Woody went whenever 
what he needed to feel significant as a child's plaything. He was not thinking about who I am. He was thinking about whose I am. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters whose you are. Do you belong to Christ? Friend, this is where we find significance. And that's fine if some of you say, I'm just going to keep pounding away at the same machine. I'm from Vegas, so I'm going to keep playing. Maybe it'll eventually pay off. And the reality is you'll never find from this machine the significance you're looking for. The significance you're looking for is the same place you find your salvation, and that is in a person, Jesus Christ. Number three, number three, satisfaction. Say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Satisfaction. I'm from the 80s, so every time I see the word satisfaction, I can only think of one song. <laughs> Some of you think of the same song. You want me to sing it? I'm not going to do it. Because he can't get no, you know what I mean? He just, he can't, he can't get no, you know. He can't. Now you think about it, man, that, that band, they had everything they wanted. They had all the money in the world, all the women in the world, all the fame in the world, everything that you would think that you would want, yet they can't get no. Why can't they get no? Why is it that the people in the world who have everything, like Solomon of Ecclesiastes, they have everything, but they can't get no? Maybe it's because you can't get that from there. No, I'm fine. Like, look, some of you are like, I don't know. I'm going to keep trying. Friend, money will never give you satisfaction. There's not an amount that will make you feel satisfied. There's not. Love will not, love from other human beings will never make you feel full satisfaction. It just can't do it. You keep going to a different person after a different person after a different person. Some of you keep going back to a parent or a step-parent, and you think, if I could just get them to love me, I'll feel satisfied. You can't get that from there. You can't get it from there, friend. Some of you think knowledge, knowledge, if I just have more knowledge, the more knowledge I have, I'll finally feel satisfied. You can't get that from their power. For some of us, it's power. If I could just get a little more power, I'll feel satisfied. You can't get that from there. When I deal with significance, people say, who I am will make me satisfied. What I've done will make me satisfied. When I deal with satisfaction, it's what I own will make me feel satisfied. And here's the fact, you'll never get that from there. And I'm trying to do something today. I'm trying to free you. And say, Pastor, are you saying that I'll never be satisfied? I'll say it this way, Abram, look at me. You'll never be satisfied apart from Jesus Christ. Four things you'll never get from there. Why do we keep going after this machine? We think we can get salvation from it, significance from it, satisfaction from it. Number four, and I'll be done. Here we are. Security from it. Security. Safety. I'm going to say security, and I want you to say it with me. I can only get that from Jesus. Security. Somebody, security. I can only get that from Jesus. For some of us, it's physical security. Some of you are scared to death 
about what the world is going through right now. And you're like, I need to find security. So you're going to put another security system in your house, and you're going to put a few more cameras in your house, and you're going to do whatever you can to secure yourself. Some of you, it's financial security. You're going to set up all these things to make sure your finances are safe from the way the world is going. So you've got security, and all the, some of you got bug out bags. You know what I mean? You're ready to go. You've got a hidden place somewhere in the mountains, and you're like, you tell nobody, because you've got to find a sense of security. For some of you, it's physical security. It's financial security. For some of us in this room, it's emotional security. We're deeply insecure. And you never feel safe. You never feel comfortable in your own skin. You never feel secure, and here's why. Because you keep going to the wrong machine, and you press the buttons, and it cannot provide you that. You can't get that from there. You can't get it from there. Some of you do this with your spouse, like I do. You go to your spouse, and you're like, you need to provide me all the security I need in the world, and they, you can't get it from there. I, I did this to Heather, poor girl. I, a couple, I don't know, weeks ago, months ago, I went to Heather. It was Sunday after church. I preached the sermon three times. Poor girl has to sit there and listen to it three times. You know what I mean? Some of you are thinking, that'd be nice. You try it every Sunday for 20 years. Pray for this woman, you know what I mean? I recently asked her after a Sunday, I said, hey, Heather, how'd you think the sermon went? What'd you think, you know, what'd you think? What was I looking for? I was looking for validation. Is that how the sermon go? This is her response. She's like, it's okay. I'm like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. That's good. You want to elaborate? Like... <laughs> It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, it's all right, it's all right. What am I doing? I am looking for my security and my validation from a machine that cannot make me feel good about where I have been. I mean, this poor woman, she's got homework on her mind, she's got the kids on her mind, she's got the ladies' conference coming up, she's got her own issues, and this man is sucking her dry of need. Are some of you like that? Are you like Josh? You're constantly trying to find your security in somebody else or something else when what you just need to do is go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I find all my security in you. Here's my concern as I close. My concern is that so many of us have deep needs but what we do is we go to the wrong place to fulfill those needs. So Paul very bluntly and sweetly and kindly and forcefully says to every Christian in Philippi and every Christian here, you can't get that from there, but you can get it from Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, my prayer today is that you would draw us back to you now, now, draw us back to you. Lord, we're like sheep, we wander astray, we turn everyone to our own way. We walk away from the shepherd thinking we'll find greener pastures. We walk away from the shepherd thinking we'll find significance and satisfaction. We think we'll find safety and security. We think we'll find even salvation apart from you. And I pray, Father, that even today as you return the wandering sheep back to your fold, I pray, Father, that you would give us exactly what we're looking for. Salvation, significance, satisfaction, 
and a deep sense of security that only you can provide. These things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. If God has used this message to impact your life, we would love to hear from you. Please send an email to connectdesk at southernhillslv.com. If you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so at southernhillslv.com slash give. We are always encouraged to hear how God is using this church in Las Vegas to reach God's people around the world.